Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Hey man, thanks for listening to today's episode with Harrison Bly. This was incredible. If you experience unwanted same-sex attraction, or you have a friend, or maybe a few friends who experience unwanted same-sex attraction, this episode is going to be so helpful for you. Harrison Bly, author of Bent on Men, is talking about his story, story that doesn't get told as a married father who experiences these things, who has experienced tremendous healing and redemption and freedom in this area of his life. I think you guys are going to love it. So enjoy the episode. Welcome to Husband Material. Today on the show, I am welcoming Harrison Bly, who is the author of Bent on Men, a memoir on taboo feelings, fraternal curiosities, and faith. I got a chance to read this book, and it was so good that we are doing a two-part interview on it. So many men who are outgrowing porn are specifically dealing with some of the issues, some of the experiences that are described so well by Harrison. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Man, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you, Drew. You're welcome. What do people need to know about Harrison Bly? People can know that uh, I write. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I've got three kids. I'm a brother. I have a biological brother, but uh, spiritual brothers. And um, and I'm a son, a son to God, a son of God. And um, thanks to Jesus, I'm being made into husband material. Let's go. And yes. Yes. And I know that's uh, in some ways I, I've not in many ways I've not arrived. And so it's been a joy to be a part of the husband material community and uh, and to continue growing and learning from other people. It's I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. And so I've, I've written this book bent on men and in it, I share a lot of these stories. Uh, I'm trying to shed light on, on what it's like to be, a person of faith uh, with unwanted same-sex attractions. And I want to share it because my hope is that we can begin to make sense of these topics that have been taboo for so long, uh, maybe even especially in the church. And I'm so convinced of God's love. And I wasn't always, but, but I am now. And maybe even especially for marginalized people, I don't know if that's theologically correct to say, but here I am saying like God's heart for the flawed people is enormous. And, and so because of that, I feel like God's given me a heart to champion fringe people, underdogs, (laughs) the losers, and maybe especially the morally flawed. And it just scratches the itch of my life's mission to position society's riffraff (laughs) That's kind of how I once thought of myself into God's dignifying and clarifying light where we can see people who had been destigmatized and not belonging, made holy and and wanted. And uh, and I feel like that's a big part of my life's mission. That's taken shape in many different ways. Yeah. 
and it has taken the shape of writing this book, writing your story in a very vulnerable way. You've opened up about things most people just don't talk about. And I'm curious, why did you write Bent on Men? Yeah, that vulnerability was so important um, to me because I, I feel like there are a lot of people who felt like I did too gay to be Christian and too Christian to be gay. And in that gap in between there, I felt just abandoned between ideologies and communities and ideas and ways of thinking that just I couldn't figure out how to be a part of either of them. And neither of them were really acknowledging my deepest wounds and longings. And so you're talking about both the LGBTQ community and a lot of Christian communities, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for putting a name to it. That's exactly what I mean. And in my story, there's a there's a point where I'm kind of <laughs> literally, even <laughs> in my story, I, I have a space where this happens where I'm stuck between the two worlds and someone comes to meet me in that space, like a representative of Christ. Like God met me in that place where I had nowhere to belong. And so I want people to know that that's where God goes. And I'm hoping that this book, this memoir, it, it just gives people to their permission to stop shaming themselves and feeling like they can't belong anywhere and just take a deep breath and, um, and just giving them the permission to look, to be curious about their longings and their, and their sexual template as, as I think you've called it. And, um, instead of just running from it and hiding from it and hoping it will go away. <laughs> um, and so that I had that permission uh, through other people's love towards me. And I want to extend that to other people through this story. Totally. This book is very different from a lot of the other books that are out there. Your story is different. What makes it so unique? I think what's different about my book is it's, it's not a heavy theological primer. It's not a theological primer at all. Um, it's really about what's happening in my body and what it's like to wrestle with things that feel outside of your control. And so it's a mental, physical <laughs> battle. And, um, and so I just tell people what that's like and, that's about, and what happened to me. And, um, and that's it. I, try, I tried to steer clear of telling people how to think and what to believe because there's, there, you know, there's plenty of books out there, great resources. And that's important to figure out what do I believe? Um, and there's podcasts about, I mean, there's so many resources. And, and then on top of that, I felt like, um, you know, most people that I talk to who experience same-sex attractions are guys who are trying to decide if they want to live a life of celibacy, if they want to enter the LGBT community, all this stuff. And I felt like there weren't very many stories out there written from the perspective of fathers and married men who go into their marriage with transparency and openness. And that's how it was for me. Um, you know, certainly there are stories of, of this stuff gets discovered, it comes to light, uh, but not very many people who are just openly living with same-sex attractions and not hiding it and trying to figure out what does that look like to, to marry a woman 
and to have children. And so that's why I was hoping to kind of offer that unique perspective. Yeah. A lot of the stories that get told about married men with same-sex attraction are tragedies. They're not victory stories. They're not stories of healing. They're not stories of redemption. And yours yeah. is. now. But before you get to the redemption, there's a lot of wreckage. And you talk about growing up being bent on men. Yeah. How did you feel about yourself at that time? So early on, right away in the beginning of this book, you're going to see stories that explain how I went from <laughs> innocence to being such a confused person. I mean, almost right away, I felt like I was a mistake of a boy, like some kind of blemish to the glory of men, uh, because I had these curiosities about well, what does it mean to be a man? or a boy, you know, what, what does that look like? Cause I feel different from all the other boys that I know. And that was being reinforced by how others treated me. And that was, and, and I was embracing that and internalizing that. And so, um, yeah, I felt like my, I just, I had a hard time coping with the pain of not feeling like I was masculine enough. And my heart always wanted something better. And I just didn't know what that was. And yeah. You were even called a girl. I was. Yeah. That, that, I think that might even be in the opening. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I had made a craft and I had given it to my great grandmother. Who you loved. Who I, who I loved and I admired. I looked up to her. In some ways, I felt like I was like her because in family settings, she was always sort of off on her own. You know, she was, she was an old lady. And, and so I would be drawn to her and I'd go to her because I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere else. And um, I gave her this craft and she said, oh, my goodness, you know, you're just like a girl. You made this craft. And I, you know, that was just like a little shot to my heart. and. You know, I, I didn't think much of it, uh, but as time goes by, these things sink into your heart like poison. And it just, I felt poisoned. And that's just one tiny example. Um, and so it's, I think something you'd notice as you read the book, and, and I feel comfortable just coming out right saying is, you know, a lot of guys have stories of really tragic uh you know, on the, it's very clearly tragic abuse stories, um, you know, where they've been taken advantage of. And, and you're not going to see a lot of that in my book. Um, in fact, you're going to see things that uh, <laughs> maybe seem a lot more vanilla. <laughs> and, and cause I'm trying to, to, to help people understand how someone like me who wasn't, I was never uh, sexually abused um, and how could someone like myself come to think that they were gay uh, is a lot more confusing to people. Um, that's often what people assume about me when I start sharing my story is, oh, he must, you know, his dad probably abused him. Um, but that's, that's not the case. And so um, it's those sort of stories like I share with my grandma that, and, and I lay a whole foundation for how it was that 
I, I, my worldview just got changed over and over and over again until I thought I was like just a wart <laughs> on society's, you know, like that's where it kind of ended up. Yeah. You describe it as if God gave you a boy's body, but forgot to put a boy in it. Absolutely. It felt like a curse, you know, I didn't really want to be a girl and I know some boys might have that experience of feeling like they want to, that they identified as a, as a female or something like that. So I don't know what that's like, um, but I sure do know what it's like to have, to really, really want to be a boy and to have a boy's body, but to feel like I can't accomplish it. Like it's impossible. And so I know what that's like. Yeah. And then puberty came into the picture. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think, you know, when puberty came into the picture, (laughs) that's kind of when I think all the confusion that I was, you know, just bring in one more element and and that's, you know, your sexual orientation and, um, and all the, all the things that are happening with your hormones and in your body. Um, it just was one more confusing thing. And I don't know about, um, I don't know about any of you guys listening, but I was, I was given a book to read (laughs) about puberty and that was pretty much it. Um, and so I was kind of figuring everything out on my own. Um, and that was, you know, I introduced a lot of my own false assumptions about what was happening to me and my body. Um, and I think, you know, it felt like my body was at war with my soul and I just, I just wanted to belong. Um, you know, but anything that came close to like friendship or like a mentoring relationship, I just, I felt like a voyeur and a clown. And yeah, like I said before, like, I just felt like I was poisoned and as much as I couldn't be masculine and as much as I couldn't grow it in myself, I wanted it from others and I craved it. And when puberty came into the picture, I think that came out and expressed itself in this erotic form of like, I have to have this and, and I've eroticized it. And, and the only way I can feel like I belong and like I'm masculine is through an erotic connection. And so that's kind of how I took off into my, into those teenage years. Yeah as if merging with a man would give you his masculinity, that his man juice would be transferred into you. Absolutely. That it's, you know, when you say it, it sounds so ridiculous, right? But it is really what I, you know, deep down, I, I believed that. Um, That's how it felt. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so around that, you know, I had developed all kinds of, sexual fantasies that just reinforced that. Um, and, and underneath those sexual fantasies were kind of two big things that I lacked. And I, and they're big themes in my book. And, and that's a sense of my own masculinity and feeling that I belonged among men and they kind of feed off of each other because, you know, when I don't feel like I'm masculine, I'm more likely to feel like I don't belong among men. And when I feel like an outsider to the group of men, then I feel less masculine. And so really these fantasies were a way of coping with that pain of these downward spiraling soul crushing realities that, and so these fantasies were scripts that could help me 
repair what was broken. Um, and the, the, the hook, you know, they would, they would lure me in like, Hey, you, you want to feel really masculine, don't you? Like, that's like, that's the promise, you know, like if I, if I entertain these, you know, these erotic fantasies, then I can at last feel masculine within myself, but really I'm just glowing in someone else's. (laughs) And, um, and so, you know, anything that looked like a father figure, instead of it being like somebody that, you know, there was sort of like healthy mirroring going on and modeling, it really kind of twisted fatherhood and mentorship to be something more like, yeah, you, you don't have what it takes. Let me, you can borrow what I've got. I've got plenty to spare and you're never going to be able to, to measure up. And so let me share with you what I've got. And that kind of came out through, you know, sort of this erotic craving of mine um, to get it that way. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And you can look back now and interpret those fantasies and see the connections. Yeah, absolutely. Harrison, what's one of the other experiences that really shaped your sexuality? Yeah, I have lots of stories, <laughs> many instances and memories of things that shaped me and dictated my identity. Um, you know, when I was uh, going to gym class uh, for the first time uh, in high school, I had a locker room experience and um you know, that's, that's, that can always be anxiety inducing for all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And in, in my story, I remember thinking, I'm going to sneak in early and change before everyone else, because the locker room represented a place for me that I didn't belong. This is distinctly male and a place where men are undressing, you know, there's vulnerability here. And it felt like a place where you could be even more exposed as a fraud. And that's sort of what that space symbolized for me. And I had this experience where I entered the locker room early thinking I could change before everyone else. And I didn't realize, but there were a group of guys in there horsing around just being teenage boys <laughs> and, and they were not dressed fully. And I walk in and they covered themselves and sort of ended their tomfoolery. And I felt not like a, a stranger, or like I was the coach breaking up their, you know, their fun. I felt like just anything that wasn't male, like, because I thought if I, if, if they knew, if they perceived that I was male, they would have just carried on. But something about me being there changed the environment, changed the, the spirit of the whole room and they could no longer be themselves. And I felt awful. And I had another experience like that uh, years later, I, I, thought that I was sort of being invited into this like group of guys, this bonding experience. Um, I was out of town at a competition. And so it was at a hotel room and I come up, you know, with these other, these guys and kind of in the people I would be competing against. And um, I come up and I, I realized that I'm, I'm there to be the butt of their joke. They were several years older than me. I was so innocent and naive and I was so excited <laughs> to be there with them. And I enter into this world and I don't know what they're talking about, but they're, they're like make, they're imagining a scene where they're having sex. And one of them just sort of pulls me in and 
they're like simulating a rape scene. And I'm like, what is happening? And so I like lash out and I, 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 you know, end up elbowing the guy that was behind me. And I was like, what are you doing? And I really hurt him, you know, physically. And they were sort of like, what is your problem? You know, we were just having fun. What are you doing? And I felt so small walking out of that room and it just reinforced like you, what is wrong with you? Like, these are just guys trying to have fun and you could not figure out how to fit in. And I just had experience after experience like this and and fast forward into high school, I had a girlfriend and uh, the first time that, that we kissed, you know, for, for some extended period of time, I felt such disappointment that I didn't sort of immediately get an erection. And I misinterpreted that experience to just reinforce what I thought I'd always known that I must be gay. Surely if I was not gay, I would have had an erection the moment we touched. And I just, these myths, these, these things that I truly believed um, and these experiences with no guide, no one to sort of like, you know, explain to me what reality is. I just went through experience after experience, just being reinforced um, with my, with the lies about who I was and um, you know, and then going into college even, you know, still like really struggling to like, I felt like I wanted friendships and I felt like that was really hard to reciprocate among other guys. And so I'm like, man, why is it that I want friendship, but other guys want something so surfacey, like, ah, there again, it's because I'm gay. What else could explain why I want something deeper than what I'm seeing other male friendships? <laughs> um, it, uh, yeah, that's right. It's because I'm gay. And just all these experiences that I had, um, you know, I entered into the middle of my life feeling like it's just inevitable. I can't belong and I can't be real. And that's what I was after. I wanted to be a part of something. I wanted to be a man among men. And I wanted to be who I really was, and I couldn't do both. So I was trying to do one or the other. And, um, and that's kind of how, uh, you know, where I end up <laughs> in the middle of my story feeling like there's no way out. You know, I'm too gay to be Christian and too Christian to be gay. Not up to snuff to be a boy, too much penis to be a girl. Yeah. Really confusing. Yeah. Really confusing. Yeah. I can imagine at different points in your stories, men thinking, oh my gosh, me too. I felt that exact same way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm finding more and more just talking with readers that that's, that that's the case. You know, these guys, like it's, it's so, it's so sad to me. I, like I'll talk to guys who are 50, 60 years old and who say, I experienced that. And so it's like for decades, they've been living their life with the burden of that loneliness. And I feel it makes me realize like, I am so fortunate um, to have experienced the, the kind of grace that I've experienced. You know, I think often like if God didn't do another thing for me, I would be blessed beyond reason. Um, and yet he continues to bless me with, revelation and insight into who he wants me to be. And I feel more and more and more like his son. 
And not because of anything I'm doing, but because of what he's revealing to me that's been true all along. So, yeah. And he is blessing others through you, through your gift of language, to be able to name some of our suffering, to be able to name some of the ways we've sexualized our deepest longings and, and to unravel that tangled mess. Yeah, that's a that's so much of what I'm doing. And and we'll we'll hear about that in the next episode for sure. Is just untangling that wad of desires. Like I'm so convinced that what we just like call gay, <laughs> if you tap on that rope, it begins to fray and it begins to untangle. And what we see are things just twisted up with one another. And you know, one other story that's an example of that from my book is, you know, there's this really tragic thing that happened in my childhood where a teammate of mine, I did gymnastics. I was, I was in competitive gymnastics even early on as a, as a kid. And one of my teammates um, took his own life and he was a little bit older. And, um, and I, you know, I didn't even know what suicide was. I couldn't imagine, you know, I was so young. I couldn't imagine someone would, would do something like that. It just didn't compute in my little mind, you know? And, um, and so they tell us, you know, that, that he passed away and I'm with my team when this happens, the coach is telling us that, you know, that this teammate had taken his own life and it was important that we know that. And then they sort of released us to go back to our parents and I'm just devastated. You know, I'm like processing things. I don't think my <laughs> young mind was meant to process and I'm going back and I look up and I'm thinking it's my mom who I over related to in childhood, but it wasn't, it was my dad who there was just this such divide with, like, I just couldn't make sense of who he was. And I knew he had no clue who I was. And I just wanted comforted. I was grieving. I didn't even know that word, but I was just devastated. I was in shock and I come towards him and I think maybe this is the first time that we will hug. And I approach him and I come up to about halfway up to his belt line is where my head hits. And I come up to him to embrace him. And I was such a fool. He did not reciprocate. He just, his arms were folded above my head. And I felt so stupid. And I look in my eyesight, I open my eyes and I'm right in front of my eyes are my dad's private. Like I'm, his belt line is right there. And I'm seeing like, this is where I sort of buried my head right there. And I remember thinking, I wonder what that looks like. And then feeling such shame. I was wrapping these things together, like a confusion about what is fatherhood? What is sonship? Who is my dad? Why won't he touch me? Why won't he comfort me? I long for him to touch me and, and just getting twisted around sexualizing him and just being confused. All I wanted was some human touch. And I walked away from that story thinking I must be gay because I wanted him to hug me and hold me and comfort me. And I believed that. And that's just one story of an example of, uh, you know, I just believed a lot of lies when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. 
Harrison, I have no words. My heart breaks for you. Thank you, Drew. That's, that's, that's painful to share. But for as painful as it is to, to remember and think about, God is not my father. And I have learned through his continuing revelation of himself to me, through his word, through his spirit, through the church even, um, what he is really like as my father. And he embraces me and he uses other men in my life. And I can experience human touch without eroticizing it. And man, what a blessing that is to know the difference. Finally, you know, I, to, to be able to know the difference between sexual desire and just, I just want to hug, you know, I didn't know the difference before. Yeah. And that's where a lot of your sexual fantasies were born and that's where they grew and developed into something so powerful that it, it felt overwhelming. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, Oh, how can you not, how can like, it's like, how can you not see what this would do to a boy? Yeah. It, yeah. It's not some rocket science. It's not some like psychological gymnastics that we have to do to, to understand how all these things fit together. It's like, no, it's pretty straightforward. Um, what that boy wanted and needed was a hug maybe more than ever. And what he got was folded arms and a belt buckle looking at your dad's crotch. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's wild is I have since I have, I guess I was kind of nervous when I published the story that I was getting the details wrong. I thought, you know, that's what I experienced. And I think that's important that I felt that way. I wondered though, like, what is the truth? So I, I actually talked to my parents about that day uh, just before this went into print because I, I wanted to change it if I was wrong. And I said, hey, do you guys remember, um, you know, that day that uh, I learned about our teammate, um, you know, dying and just, the, do you remember, like, did they tell us and then release us to you? And they were like, yeah, yeah, that, I think that happened. And I was like, man, do, were we just devastated? And and they were like, yeah, 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 definitely. Like the other, you know, all the kids were crying and it just was really, really sad. And, um, and I said, yeah, do, did dad, did you pick me up that day? And they were kind of like, oh, I think so. Maybe. Yeah, that sounds about, yeah, I think he might've picked you up. And, um, and I just was like, you know, do you remember like comforting me or like, what was that like for you? Do you remember? And, and he said, um, that he just can't quite recall all of it. And, um, and I asked him, I was like, did, is it true that you just didn't really touch me a lot as a kid? Or is that kind of what I have just wrongly believed? And he said, yeah, you know, I always kind of thought you might be gay. And I just, I didn't really want to make that struggle worse for you. So I just kind of kept my distance in that regard. And, and so I've learned that, you know, and it doesn't, it paints a different picture of my dad, doesn't it? You know, like, mm -hmm. and I've come to realize he is a very, 
very emotional man. And he has a very hard time like living with his emotions. And he will do just about anything to prevent his emotions from going overboard. And so I'm certain now, <laughs> as I've pressed in that, you know, what, what was going on is my, you know, my dad probably was feeling exactly what I was feeling, grief, confusion, not knowing how to comfort his son right in front of him, cognizant of a potential sexual dysfunction that he doesn't know anything to do. Like, I don't know what to do about that. And, um, and this is what he knew to do. And that was his best. Yeah. And that's just wild to think about, but that's who he is. And that, that that's made sense to me. Mm-hmm. If you could go back and speak to your younger self, what would you say to him? <laughs> that's such a good question. Um, you know, you had a guest on recently who's a part of the husband material uh, community, Douglas Carpenter. And he, he said it so well, I, I, I wouldn't be able to say it better. Um but he talked about the difference between arousal and sexual desire. And if I could go to my younger self, I would share that information that your what you are aroused by is not the same thing that you sexually desire. And I thought it was. I thought that whatever could turn me on, whatever could produce in me an erection was what I longed for and what I needed. And it's so comforting. I wish I could comfort my younger self to say, you know, that that's not the case. That's not what you really want. And that's not who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think and, you know, and, and a big part of this, of living a, redeem, a redeemed life is leaning into the new creation that Christ orders up for ourselves. Now, a lot of people would look at my life and look at my story and say, what a fraud, you know, um, what a fraud, you know, he, he, he's gay and he's just in denial and, um, and he should just live into his, that lifestyle and quit, quit shame, quit pretending. Um, and so that, you know, that can be a temptation to, to think that way and to buy into that. Um, but I feel like my faith has given me a different idea about my identity. And, and I don't, I don't have to base my identity on a physiological response. Praise God. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that is so freeing to think about. And when you say it out loud, it's kind of funny. It's kind of Mm -hmm. silly to think that there, that's how we've, that's the society we live in. We really do sort of divide and draw lines and create categories and identities and definitions around, how we, you know, around our arousal templates rather than what we might um, sexually desire in health. I want to quote a passage from the book where you say, I saw this deep unmet need of mine was less a gay thing and more like the burden of every man's soul. Hmm. We cry out for relief from it in a myriad of ways. My cry sounds gay, but my brother's cry sounds like violence against women. And my other brother's cry sounds like suicide. In this framework, I was a man like any other, and that was a start. It seems like that truth was so important for you to realize that you are a man and you belong with men. Uh, you had felt like there's a man club out there and you're not invited. Um, 
but the more you saw your sexuality as having commonalities and similarities with men who are radically different, you're like, wow, I'm one of the guys. Absolutely. And it might, and, and uh, because it's so equalizing to talk with other guys on this level. And I'm not talking about guys who are experiencing same sex attractions. I'm just talking about men in general. Um, and to like, you know, so one of my closest friends, you know, shares about, you know, like he felt very similarly about feeling out of control with his sexuality and he, and it's not same sex stuff at all. Like, uh, but he struggled with it for years and he felt like this is who I am. And he's wrestled with that. And, and so I felt like, man, you know, I spent so many years of my life thinking that guys just naturally figured it out somehow. And I just couldn't <laughs> because of my problem. Um, but, you know, come to find out, you know, especially as I was approaching getting married and I was more, um, I was pursuing other guys to ask them about everything about marriage, including like, you know, what do I need to know about sex? Uh, Cause I feel pretty clueless and I, and it's probably because I'm gay, you know, mm. like, because that's a part of my story and how wrong I was, you know, I'd talk to these other guys and they would sort of share some of their own limited experiences and all their failures and hardships and heartaches and difficulties. And, and I mean, we're talking everything from, you know, erectile dysfunction to, um, you know, like just really sad honeymoon stories. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm laughing because I didn't know that other people had these difficulties. Um, and so, uh, they often would, I'd walk away from those conversations and they would say, man, I'm so glad we talked about this because I wish I had talked about this with some other guys before I got married would have saved me a lot of grief. And, um, and so I found myself relating to other men in that way and that, and, you know, just relating to men, like that was not an experience I'd, I grew up having. And so, um, that was really powerful and healing to me. And it is for any man. It is for me. And that's why husband material exists so that no matter what our sexual attractions or behaviors are, we can relate, we can belong, we can be accepted, and we can begin healing. Absolutely. And you have experienced that in some awesome ways that we are going to talk more about in part two. Yes. So stick around because next week we are going to hear the rest of Harrison's story. I highly encourage you to pick up a copy of Bent on Men. You can find the link in the show notes. Harrison, what is your favorite thing about freedom from porn? With freedom from porn, I get to enjoy other men for who they really are and not for what my wounds and my hurts have needed them to be. That is so good. Oh man. Yeah. Life-changing. I can, you know, other, other guy before other men in my life, they were just, I used them to, as, as sort of band-aids, you know, to, to fix me and repair me. And, and I, and I, and they were nothing more than that. Um, you know, but now they're real people and they can really hurt me <laughs> and that's okay. Um, but they're real and I can have real relationships with them. They can hurt you 
and they can heal you and you can heal them yeah and just be together and belong yes well thank you so much we'll continue this conversation next week sounds great thanks drew you're welcome and gentlemen always remember you are god's beloved son in you he is well pleased Thank you.